The reading of the scripture is taken from Philippians 1st chapter, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart and, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Well, thank you, Dorothy, for such a clear reading. Let's pray as we turn to look at God's word together. Father, we thank you that although this is a letter written by Paul to a specific church in Philippi, you are speaking through it to us today. And you wanted these words to be written down so that we would read them in Christchurch Bulldog today, this evening. And so we pray that as we look at it together, you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, please fill us with gratitude for what you have done for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've called this sermon, The Church We Want to Be. And really that's uh, from the letter as a whole, more than this passage, but we will come on to this passage and see uh, exactly the sort of church we'd like to be from a few things that it says in here. But I get it from the fact that the letter to the Philippians is probably the most positive of all of Paul's letters to any of the churches he was responsible for. So <laughs> we might call a sermon series on Galatians, for example, the church we don't want to be. Paul had a lot of criticism for that church. But on the contrary, in, uh, the, in Philippi, there was a church that just meets with Paul's approval and therefore with God's approval. It was a church that was going really well, the sort of church we might like to be. Young people, I'm guessing you know that feeling where you've been off to camp 
and the singing has absolutely raised the roof. And the preacher there quotes your favourite people on Instagram three times. And then you come back to Christchurch Bulldog and Sam has to ask what TikTok is and what that what that's all about. That was a little in-joke there for a few of the young people who were on that table at the time. But uh, you come back from camp with that feeling of, oh, if only church was like this every week. Um, there's a real buzz there. There's a real vibrancy. Well, I know that feeling. And uh, I also know that that feeling kind of wears off as you get back to normality. But what I want to say is that it's tempting to think of the church we want to be as something different to where we are right now. We look at the grass on the other side, and of course it's greener, and so we want to be there. There's this temptation to think if only, I don't know, there was more passion, if only the singing was better, if only whatever it might be, all sorts of improvements that could be made. But what I want to share with you this evening from this letter to the Philippians is that actually, in, in a way, we, we are the church we want to be. And that is not that we're perfect, but that by God's grace, we are in a place where we want to be because our priorities are where they should be. Because... Paul writing this letter to the Philippians, uh, he doesn't have any major complaints, but he does. there are some niggles that he addresses. So um, it's clear as we'll come to look at this in the coming weeks, that there's a bit of fear and anxiety in the church and he tries to address that. There's uh, also a bit of division. We'll see later that there are two ladies who have fallen out with each other and he pleads with them to be of the same mind. So it's a divided church. You know, if we saw that today, we, we might wonder how healthy the church was. But Paul, is very he speaks very highly of the Philippian church. And also, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. There was grumbling in the church. Can you imagine that? So the church in Philippi wasn't perfect. But by God's grace, it was a church that had its priorities right. And so Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is overwhelmingly positive about it to the point where he calls it in chapter four, my joy and my crown. What a great church, the sort of church that we want to be. So from these first 11 verses that we're looking at this evening, really, I'd like to get two big priorities that the Philippian church had that are good for us to have as well. And actually, I think we do have them, but that doesn't mean there's no room for us to grow. There can always be things, there are always things that could be better. But on the whole, by God's grace, I think the priorities are there. And so we can be really encouraged by that. And I want to use an illustration to make it all clear. And uh, I want to talk about Liverpool's recent victory. Now, Obviously, you'll find out from this that I am a born sports coach because I reckon for Liverpool to have won their victory, they must have had one eye on the game and another eye on the prize. And if you're watching this from another Premier League team, I'm available to be hired as your manager or coach if you like me. So to win the prize, you've got to have one eye on the game, one eye on the prize. There are our two priorities that we're going to learn from these first 11 verses. 
And uh, I, as I said before, I think we do have these priorities and they're actually part of what makes us an evangelical church. A lot of people struggle to explain what it means to be an evangelical church if they're asked. But one really helpful way that I find is just to talk about it in terms of priorities. We prioritize the Bible. We prioritize the message of the cross and salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection. We prioritize uh, the experience or at least the, um, the concept of conversion. You can't just sort of drift into Christianity. You're either a Christian or not. We, um, we talk about the second coming. All of these things we would embrace within the term the gospel, which is where the word evangelicalism comes from. And that contrasts with other churches who might emphasize the sacraments or they might emphasize um, showing God's love to the community and social action. Or maybe uh, they would emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. And one criticism often leveled against evangelicals is that they don't emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit enough. So maybe we've got things to learn from these other traditions. And in many ways, we uh, are not saying different things. It's not that we wouldn't show Christ's love to our community, for, ex for example, but we wouldn't say that's the top priority of the church. We'd say the top priority of the church uh, is found in other things. And we're gonna look at two big central things this evening. So the first one, this is keeping an eye on the game. If you're gonna play a game of football, you have to know uh, what game you're playing. It's no point going out there without knowing that. And so we have to keep an eye on, on the game. We have to have our first priority right. And in the text that we've read this evening, we learn that our first priority is to be the gospel. No surprises there. I hope you're not too disappointed that it's so obvious. But uh, that is the game that we're about. So Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you all, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he's just um, so enthusiastic about the gospel. Verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul's writing this from prison and the Philippians are concerned about him as we would be if, say, Chris was thrown into prison. We'd be very concerned about you, Chris. You'll be pleased to know. But Paul says, what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's his priority. He says in verse 27 of chapter one, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is his number one priority. And I think you'll agree that by God's grace, that is the priority of Christ church. So I'm not going to tell us, tell you, we need to do something different. I'm saying the priority is there. We're not perfect and there might be room to grow, but the priority is there. Praise God. And to go on reading, we can also say why the priority is there. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So it's not wrong of us to say that by God's grace, we are where we want to be as a church. It's just an acknowledgement of what we believe about God's grace. It's an acknowledgement that he is in control and he has saved us and he has placed us here in this church at this point in history.
Now, the letter to the Philippians also goes on to give us a few details about what the gospel is. And I just want to read one little summary of that that will just help us to keep our eye on the game. It's in chapter three, where Paul is talking about his background as a Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he was meticulous in his law keeping uh, of the Jewish law. But he says that actually, these things don't count for anything compared with the glory of knowing Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the gospel. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. If you're new to the Christian faith and you're watching it, that is what is, uh, you're watching this, that is what the gospel is all about. It's about knowing Christ. It's about Christ being worth more to you than everything else, because through him, you receive what Paul describes as the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's that approval from God. And it goes on to say what that means for us in practice. Somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. If we have God's approval, then it also means that death, which we learn from the Bible is a punishment for sin, is actually defeated. And we can experience eternal life in the presence of our Saviour. So that is the gospel, and that is the gospel that is preached from the pulpit of Christ Church week by week. And so what I want to say to all of us this evening is, first of all, keep going. By God's grace, we are the church that we want to be, because our priority is the gospel. And I just, I hope that in a way that's uh, refreshing to hear, and it's, it takes the, the pressure off to try and, and look for ways to improve things, try and look at uh, other churches and maybe think the grass is greener on the other side when it isn't. By God's grace, we are in the place we want to be. That's the first application. And secondly, the application comes along with the gospel, really. And that is keep looking outward. So Paul thanks the Philippians because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul was a missionary and throughout his missionary journeys and even when he was in prison, the Philippians never stopped supporting him. They supported him financially when he was out preaching the gospel. In fact, he says this. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel all of you share in God's grace with me. Whether Paul was out preaching the gospel or whether he was locked in a cell and couldn't do anything, 
the Philippians were partners with him in the gospel. And so that's an encouragement for us to look outwards, to support our existing missionaries. And I know that, again, this is something that we love to do as a church and individuals in the church take a really keen interest in the lives of our missionary partners. So it's really thrilling to be able to look at this text and just see that by God's grace, we are the church that we would like to be. Let's keep looking outwards, looking, at, uh, looking after our missionary partners, spreading the gospel out. And the third application, just from this part, part of keeping our eye on the game, is to remember God's grace. Have I mentioned God's grace in the sermon yet? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Again, I hope that's just a weight lifted off of our shoulders as we realise that being the church we want to be is not a burden for us to carry around with us. It's a work that God is doing and will complete. So that's the first thing, keeping our eye on the game. That's the first priority that Paul has for the Philippian church. It's the first reason why Paul and the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, are so pleased with the Philippian church. Secondly, I said keeping an eye on the game and keeping an eye on the prize. And I mentioned that because twice in these few verses we've read, Paul mentions the prize that we look forward to. I'm going to read this verse again because I love it so much. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love it. He just drops that in in passing. And verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I'm sorry, I've read the wrong verse. Where am I looking at? Sorry, verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Again, Paul just drops it in casually, the day of Christ. And he, again, in, in uh, his letter a bit later on, he tells us a bit more about what the day of Christ is. This is chapter 3, verse 20. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So the day of Christ's return is the moment when all of this is complete. And if this is our second priority, first priority, the gospel, second priority, the return of Christ, then really it just keeps everything in perspective, doesn't it? And a big part of the letter to the Philippians is joy. Paul emphasises it over and over again. He says that uh, whenever he prays for the Philippians, he prays with joy. Um, he wants to encourage them and give them joy. And that's uh, one of the things that the return of Christ should lead us to, it leads us to joy because it puts things into perspective and because it means that um, although life on this earth, as we've discovered over the last few months, can be extremely difficult. And as many people around the world have discovered over years, and it's just come to light in the last few weeks, 
Maybe there is oppression and maybe people are feeling that they are misunderstood. And maybe, uh, well, there's all sorts of sin and problems in the world, but there is a day when Christ will return. And that helps us to keep it all into in perspective. It gives us hope for that day. And there's a, another part in here, another application for us. First of all, it's joy. We, we set our eyes on the prize. We look for Christ's return and we have joy in looking forward to that. But secondly, it leads us towards maturity. And actually, maturity out of those two things, joy and maturity, is the one that's emphasized more in the passage we've got here. Because at the end of it, Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The whole, the whole point of what he's praying here is so that you'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It's, a, uh, it's achieving maturity for the day of Christ. And I just wanted to say something very quickly about that. We often take this as a kind of individual thing. So we say, oh yeah, okay, so Paul wants me to love more and more and to have more knowledge and depth of, in depth of insight, wisdom, say, and so that we can be pure and blameless. And that's true, but what we've missed by thinking that is the fact that when Paul says you, when he says your love, he's not talking to individuals, he's talking to the whole church. So this is addressed to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Everyone, this is the whole church, and to the whole church, he uses the plural, you, that your love may abound more and more. Which makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's very difficult to love on your own. But this is addressed to a church, and so the love is to be for one another. And where it says love is to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, he could have written, your love abounds more and more, and so does your knowledge and depth of insight. But he says that your love is to abound in knowledge and depth of insight. Sorry, that got a bit wordy, but basically what I'm saying is that the knowledge and depth of insight are connected with this love. It's a, it's a different kind of love, actually, to the love that much of our culture values. Uh, the love that so much of our culture values is this unconditional affirmation that I'm going to love you, I'm committed to you, no matter what, what choices you make, no matter um, what, what you do. But actually, if we're loving in knowledge and depth of insight, the, these words are always really used in connection with knowledge of God, knowledge of God's will and God's word, then our love is shaped by the Bible and by our prayers. It's a love that isn't afraid to say to somebody, I don't think that was the right decision to make. I don't think that was a wise call. I think that has implications for Christian parenting, doesn't it? It's not so much unconditional affirmation, but it's affirmation in light of what God has revealed about ourselves and about him. It also has implications for us as a church. When we're loving one another properly, 
we're not afraid to, as it says other, uh, elsewhere, speak the truth in love. And of course, I think I've said this before, it takes a huge amount of maturity for us to do that. It's something that's, it kind of scares me, the thought of speaking the truth in love, uh, because there's so much room for it to go wrong. But that's why it's maturity. And that is Paul's desire for the church here in Philippi. And it's a desire that's so linked in with this promise of the day of Christ, so that we may be able to discern what is best, the things that really matter. When we're loving one another in knowledge and depth of insight, then together as a church, we will be able to discern where our priorities should be. What is best? What is the most, um, the wisest thing to look for? What is the thing that is most pleasing to God? And as I said before, I'm not saying this because I think, you know, oh, we've got a long way to go before we get to this level of maturity. By God's grace, I think we are the church we'd like to be. We have these priorities in place. And yet there is still room for us all to grow in this so we can be encouraged. So we've got to keep our one eye on the game, one eye on the prize. And just to wrap it all up, I just want to refer to God's grace once again and just bring us back to that verse, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The church we want to be is one that is totally dependent on God's grace. And that's such a good place to be because it places our loving Heavenly Father in control of all things, all of the things that we wish we had control of and are out of our control, are in the hands of somebody who is far better to have control than us. So by God's grace, we are where we are, and by God's grace, we will be where we will be in the coming months and years. Let's pray as we finish. Lord Jesus, you have established your church and it is by your grace that we stand. It is by your grace that here we are today, 2000 years later, talking about you, preaching the gospel and celebrating your love for us. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray, long may that continue in this corner of North Hertfordshire. Long may there be a church here that looks to you for your grace and your kindness. And we pray that you would keep us until that day of Christ Jesus, when we shall be complete. Amen.